Kat. How are Hi, you? Hi, I am great. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, that's kind of, well, I'm never great. I don't have, um, I sit in the middle. That's, that's just how I am. <laughs> Listeners should know this. Like, I don't get excited about things. I get angry no a shit. lot. But no shit. You got you guys know me. It's okay. I, I get excited about everything. I get worked up. <laughs> and worked up. Yes, excited. We're like I think we're on the opposite ends of the spectrum as far as like That's okay. We fill in gaps. Yeah. For each exactly. Other. That's good. <laughs> exactly. That's why we get along so well. Yeah. Well, what do you have for me today? Yeah. Well, I was going to say welcome back everyone. Oh, uh, well, why? They, I mean, they're here. But we well I we have said this before. We welcome people into our home. <laughs> You don't just open the door we're not and even, them bed for themselves. We're not even in a home, though. We're just, like, on a thing. But but they're... They don't know. Well, don't then know. they need to welcome us to their home because <laughs> we're in their home. So I want to hear some welcomes. Yes, thanks for having us in your car, in your <laughs> ear, in your Alexa. I don't know. Does that work? I think so. Yeah, I know the I can play podcasts. Yeah. do it. But anyway, anyways, <laughs> um, so this is a project that we have been working on for a while. Um, yes, and it's probably not going to sound like it, and I'm going to apologize for that right up front because we're taking a little bit of a different take with this. So we are going to be discussing the disappearance of Brian Schaefer which is uh, a really, really popular case. And um, I'm going to do my best to share the important information, but I'm not going to be talking about any of the theories of what has happened to him because he has he went missing in 2006 and has not been seen since. Yeah. So... What's going to make this a little bit different is that a uh, podcaster from Sweden approached us uh, a couple of months back and asked if we would be interested in doing a collaboration with him because he is obsessed with this case. Uh, he has he his is. own Swedish podcast covering this in depth, and he has just started recording an English version of his podcast. And... Um, because he is so well versed in this, I don't want to go over every teeny tiny detail that and there have been a couple of really deep dive podcasts that have gone into this already. A lot. Yeah. And so I, I cannot do this case the same level of justice as they can in one episode that they did over a span in a series. Yeah. So I'm just going to do my best to share the important information to get uh, this case covered. And then tomorrow, uh, not tomorrow in real life, because we're recording this on Saturday, but tomorrow uh -huh. for the listeners, uh, we are going to release an interview that we did with that podcaster where he is going to walk us through the theories and uh, tell us about what his... Uh, what he landed on as what he believes happened. And then we'll see um, uh, what if I agree with him and if Kat agrees with him, we'll see if we can all come to a consensus. We probably won't, but no, uh, -uh. but yeah. it'll be awesome. I'm excited. Yeah. And it should be fun. Um, I think you guys are really going to like this guy. I really like him. He's oh yeah. He's most, great. Like one of the most wholesome humans that I've ever interacted with. He's so nice. Well, and why do I like him so much? I I really like his accent as well. And his voice, you guys. He has a fantastic voice. I know he's probably going to listen to this, and yeah. he's probably embarrassed hearing it, but that's okay. I'm a sucker for an accent. He, I, he could he could be talking about anything, and I'd be like, uh huh, yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So, uh, Brian Schaefer. Brian was born February 11th, 1977 in Pickerington, Ohio. That's uh, kind of a suburb of Columbus. Okay. Um, I was going to say up front, 
when I was researching this, there are two birthdays out there for Brian. And some some podcasts say the wrong birthday because Wikipedia says his birthday is the 25th. And that is wrong. Where did they get the 25th from? Just probably from some random. It's Wikipedia. So, yeah. Yeah. But because it's on Wikipedia, it's copied on a lot of other pages. Oh, yeah. Telephone, right? Yeah. And then even some news sources say that's his birthday, but that's not his birthday. Yeah. Not that it's a, I mean, a, a detail like that especially is is important when you're talking about a person, but not to the case, so. Yeah, but um, I know some people, when they're listening to podcasts, are like, that was wrong, and then yeah. I'll get an email about it, but yeah, that's okay. Brian's family, just to tell you more about his family makeup, his father was named Randy, and Randy was an electrician by trade, and he was very active in his church. And he was an accomplished saxophone player. Uh, oh. He actually played saxophone in like their church band. Which, oh. Which I've never heard of a church band having a saxophone. So it's uh, kind of cool to me, I guess. It was like a jazzy church. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, his mother, Renee, was a nurse. And okay. uh, everyone says Brian was very, very close with his mother. Way closer with his mother than he was with his father. Oh, interesting. Uh, Brian also had a younger brother named Derek. And Derek actually went on to be an apprentice electrician and worked for his father's company. So Derek was close to the father and Brian was close to the mother. I think there's a family dynamic like that in a lot of families. Don't you think? Like where one kid is... Yeah, where if you have two kids, they kind of gravitate. And I think some of it's personality-wise. Yeah. Brian... I, I couldn't find a ton about his childhood and his uh, academic prowess when he was younger. I did find that he excelled in athletics. Um, he ended up settling on tennis as the primary sport that he would play. Okay. He actually went so far as to compete in state finals. And I think that was in high school. Nice. Um, he was a little bit of a rebellious guy. And uh-huh. at one point, he, he was actually captain of the tennis team and his coach wanted him to trim his hair. I guess he wore it kind of shaggy at the time. Uh-huh. And for whatever reason, his coach was telling him that he needed to cut his hair. Brian refused to cut his hair and then quit the tennis team and just quit playing tennis. Because of the whole hair thing? I guess. Oh, um, so, like I said, Derek kind of fathered in, followed in his father's footsteps and ended up being an electrician. Uh-huh. Brian followed in his mother's footsteps. And after he went to college, he got a degree in microbiology in 2003. And in 2004, he uh, started going to med school to be a doctor. So, he was going into oh. healthcare like his Oh, mother. wow. Nice. So you can imagine, I mean, to be a med student, you have to be intelligent, have to be really good at memorization. Um, are you looking at my notes? No. Oh, you should, because Brian was an attractive man. Oh, I've seen. So, no, I when since we've started talking about Brian Schaefer, like, uh, you know, a while back, I've seen I'm familiar with him. I'm not familiar with all of the details of the case, but mm. I I watched the dateline oh, that did. they did on Brian, on Brian Schaefer a long time ago. And I remember even back then. He is a good-looking guy. Yeah, he's one of those. Yeah. Like, if he walked in and he was my doctor, I'd be like, oh, I'm fainting. Oh, Please catch me. Like- definitely. <laughs> or just being like a college student and yeah. being in college. And like that's the guy that you're walking towards, you know. Yeah. So he was, uh, for people who are not looking at his photo like I am right now, because <laughs> um, he was attractive. Very, He had a very square jawline. Uh, he was six foot two, which I think that's tall enough for you, Kat, because you say uh, over six I foot. Do, I, I do have a preference. Uh, he had dark brown hair, and I, act, I wrote this in my in my notes. I uh, said he was very conventionally attractive by American standards. Tall, dark, handsome, with a nice jawline. 
And you know what? That's all you need. <laughs> you just listed my my everything. So yeah. Uh, in 2005, he met Alexis Wagner, who was also a fellow fellow med student. He actually said he fell for her because of her blue eyes and long waving hair. Oh man, I would have been out. I feel like then. I don't have blue eyes. Oh. I used she to have really wa- long wavy hair. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she is a. Um, so everyone described their relationship as loving. Alexis said that um, an example of this, just to like tell you how great a guy he is, because this is like I would be head over heels for this guy at this point. So uh-huh. about a week after they started dating, she was in a car accident. Not mm. bad enough that she was injured, but bad enough her car had to go to the shop to be fixed. Oh, no. Brian drove her around, not just for, like, dates and stuff, but, like, also to run errands, to take her grocery shopping, to do her day-to-day stuff, because she didn't have a car. How nice. Yeah, and they had literally been dating for a week. Oh, wow. That's really nice. Right. So she says that this is one of those things. She said, I will never forget how kind he was when we had just met. Yeah, that is really, yeah, that is really nice. Like, I cannot, I can't think of a guy that I've dated that a week into dating would have done this for me. No, that, yeah. Yeah. Because most guys, most guys would be like, I have things to do or I can't, you know what I'm saying? Or like, it would be like, oh, that's fine. We'll see each other when you get your car or whatever. But yeah. But like, no, you need to go to the doctor. You need to go sign papers for your insurance. Get in my car. Let's go. Well, and that kind of shows you just how much he was into her yeah. and, and also just how much of a good guy he was seemingly, yeah. you know? So college, as we all know, is expensive, especially graduate school, which is, I mean, he was in med school. Uh huh. So over the course of his uh, education years, Brian... God, what a catch. I just keep thinking about it. What a catch he was. Medical uh, school, jawline. Go on. Sorry. Brian sporadically worked at JCPenney's as a cashier, um, kind of to supplement the cost of his tuition and housing. But Uh his mom was really the financial support for him while he was in school. Nice. Um, Just before Christmas of 2005, his mother fell ill with uh, rare bone cancer. And her Christmas, she actually ended up spending it in the hospital. Oh, that's so sad. Really sad. Hmm. So, of course, I mean, all of the family is in there visiting her, but Brian specifically visited her very frequently. Almost every day after class, he would go (sighs) to the hospital and see her. What a nice son. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, during one of these visits when he was going to see her, she did the mom thing. And she was like, Brian, I really like Alexis. I think you guys should get married. The whole, like, I'm sick and I'm your mother and I'm telling you how it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she she was playing the mom card hard. Yeah. This leads to a rumor later on down the road and I'll mention it later. So that Christmas, her gift to Brian was actually a trip for him and Alexis to go on a cruise together. Um, I think they were leaving from Miami is where the cruise is leaving from. So Brian really meticulously planned every single detail of this trip, like specific restaurants they were going to go to, like tourist attractions, what activities they were going to do. Just very like he was he was into this trip. Yeah. And uh, they planned it so that it would take place over spring break and they would be leaving on monday april 3rd oh nice march 6th renee lost her battle with cancer and she died oh no really sad so brian was absolutely devastated oh Um, i'm sure the whole family was yeah i guess randy after his wife died, he, like, couldn't bring himself to even look through her things. Oh, yeah, that would be awful. Yeah. So on the day of her funeral, Brian showed up an hour late. 
Why? Give me a second. So I think that they were delaying the service, waiting for him to get there because obviously he's an immediate member of the family. You don't want to start a So they were like trying to stall the crowd because they have people there for the service. Um, I think his father ended up playing his saxophone at one point just to like fill the silence. Wow. I wonder, was it... Was he typically late to anything or was this, I mean, it's your mom's funeral. I don't know that, that, that would be, oh, Brian's always late. I don't know that that would be a, well, uh, listen to this. So, okay. He finally gets there and after the service and later his cousins come up to him and confront him and they're like, why were you so late? Yeah. And he just said that he overslept. Well, you know, I it, it's traumatic what he's going through, too, and everything that's happening. I mean, that's kind of, I don't know. Well, his I guess his family later, I saw a quote that said that was Brian in a nutshell. Yeah. So okay. I don't, I would think that he was having a hard time with it. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Yeah, so I, I do, we can't dictate how people speculate yeah exactly he was obviously having a hard time with this yeah yeah totally so this brings us to friday march 31st 2006 okay um at this time uh brian was 27 years old and the week leading up to march 31st uh was finals week okay so brian's grades had kind of slipped after his mother's death Mm-hmm. And so he was pulling all-nighters basically all week studying for finals because he's at the point where if he fails a class, he doesn't get to proceed with med school. Yeah. So he has to really fight to get the grades he needs to move on. Yeah. And uh, he had passed all of his finals. He was doing good. So that Friday... He had plans with his father to go to dinner as kind of a celebratory thing. Uh Uh-huh. Brian actually called his brother and asked if Derek was planning on going to dinner with them. I guess Derek had uh, tickets to go to some comedy show with his girlfriend Uh and said that he wasn't going to go out to dinner with them because he already had other plans. Okay. Alexis was also not coming to dinner. But that's because her family dog was sick. And so she went home to Toledo to see her parents and also to like say goodbye to her childhood pet. Okay. And that was about two and a half hours away. Oh. So um, Alexis had gone there. Her plan was to be there over the weekend. Remember, they're supposed to be going on this cruise on Monday. So her plan was to come home on Sunday night so that she would have plenty of time to be rested and get to the airport so they could leave on Monday. Mm -hmm. So Brian met his father for dinner at Outback Steakhouse. And Randy said that Brian looked like visibly worn out. Like he had been studying hard all week, pulling all nighters. And he just he looked tired. He looked worn out. But he didn't seem bad like he was in good spirits uh he seemed um normal okay and apparently at one point during dinner randy mentioned a like honestly his wife has only been gone for about six weeks at this point okay and he mentioned like oh your mother and i used to come here and Mm -hmm. it turned into this like brian was comforting his father Okay. And he said, Which he should. That's, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Like, that's not the point of dinner. But like Oh uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's it hasn't even been months. Like it's yeah, this is so fresh. So Brian says, quote, It's okay, Dad, I'll be with you as much as I can. So like he's just he's trying to comfort his father in the absence of his mother. It's just it's a hard time for everyone. Yeah. But it's also an awkward place to be for a child to be comforting the parent yeah that's well but it's understandable though i i would feel like yeah if the child was young but brian's an adult yeah comforting his dad 
Uh, this I, is just to illustrate. Brian is fully functional right yeah. here. Yeah, uh, he's. Oh, it sounds like it. One hundred percent. Yeah. So Brian had plans to go out drinking with his friends that night. Randy has since said that he regrets not telling Brian to just stay home and relax because in Randy's mind, like you just said, Brian was an adult Yeah, and he can make his own adult choices. But Randy remembered how tired Brian looked that night. And I, I guess he had like thought like, oh, I should tell him to just take it easy. But no, he's an adult. He knows, he knows himself. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't. And how could things have been different if maybe Randy had just said that? Well, do you think Brian would have even listened to him? I have no idea. Uh, I don't think. It's the what if. Yeah. Oh, totally. That's what eats you apart. Mm -hmm. So uh, Brian and Randy actually ended up going back to Brian's apartment. They shared a beer for a minute. And Brian's friend Clint came over. Okay. Clint Florence was a former co-worker from JCPenney. Uh, he and Brian had lived together for a brief time, but at this point, they were just drinking buddies. Okay. Basically, when Clint and Brian got together, the goal was to let loose and have a good time, and that was the n- what the night was going to be about. Oh, Okay. I mean, it, they're in college. I mean, everybody yeah. has that. I call you when we're going out to drink and that's all we do together is we just go bar hopping. Like it, it's college. It makes sense to me. Yeah. So I guess in the past, Brian had been a little bit of a party animal. Okay. But at one point his drinking had gotten out of hand and he actually ended up with a DUI. Ooh, ouch. After the DUI, he kind of... Calm down a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So he didn't really go hard with the drinking anymore. He just kind of went out to relax, have a drink or two. Nothing like going out to get blackout or anything like that. Well, and I think being in med school, you would have to. I mean, right? You can't yeah. go hard all the time. No, I don't think so. Yeah. But then when you like, on the other hand... We all watch Grey's Anatomy, and we know how stressful <laughs> I was, that is. I was just going to say that, but then I'm like, no. Really? <laughs> I like, people are going to think I'm so dumb, but I'm going to be like, look at the doctors on Grey's Anatomy. Like, yes. they- <laughs> So, uh, Clint and Brian end up going out about 9 or 9.30. Depending on the source, there's a little bit of variance in this timeline. They end up going to the Ugly Tuna Saluna. Ugly Tuna Saluna. It's so much fun to say. I wanted, I wish I could have been at the table when the owners of that business were like, okay, guys, names, names, what do we got? And they're probably like, they at couldn't a certain think of point, anything. They're like breaking down and someone's like, yeah. or they're like, well, we can't say Ugly Tuna Bar. What names with tuna? What rhymes tuna. with tuna? Tuna. Saluna. Like, Saluna. <laughs> done oh my god so they uh they each have a couple of shots once they get there brian tried to call alexis but she didn't answer he left her a voicemail uh-huh. continued on with her his night she called him back at about ten thirty, and they spoke on the phone just briefly and he was like yeah we're just out we're having fun i'll see you on monday whatever like just debriefing for the day yeah um she said Everything sounded fine during this phone call. Nothing seemed off. Nothing was weird. He was normal. Okay. All right. After this phone call, Brian and Clint end up moving the party a couple blocks away. Uh Uh-huh. To a couple other bars. They didn't have fun names, so I didn't write them down. Uh (laughs) Oh. And (laughs) according to Clint, and I'm saying that very specifically, they each had one shot at each of the bars. Okay. At one point, Clint ends up calling his friend Meredith to come and meet them. So Meredith drives down there. She actually picks them up in her car and goes back towards the Ugly Tuna Saluna and parks in a parking garage right there. Sorry. 
That's the, every I really time like you say the name. every time you say that name. Oh, I okay. say it a ton because I okay. like saying it. I know, I know. That's what I gathered. Okay. Uh, so she parks her car in the garage, and they end up had it heading back up into the Ugly Tuna Saluna, and they arrive at about one a.m. Okay. So the layout of this area is a very huge part of this case. So Ugly Tuna was located on High Street, which was close to the college campus, but it was also a high crime area. So uh, the city of Columbus was trying to revamp the image of this area to make it seem like a safer place. So they were putting in new shopping centers. There was a lot of construction going on. And one of the things that was under construction was the gateway, the South Gateway Complex, which is um, kind of like an outdoor mall. Okay. And inside the gateway complex is where the Ugly Tuna Saluna is. So it was two stories. The bottom story had a couple of restaurants and a couple of other uh, nightlife attractions. So uh, probably like dive bars, restaurants, that kind of stuff. Probably mm-hmm. a couple of little shops. And then... There was an escalator you took up to a landing on the second floor. Okay. And on that landing was the lobby area for a movie theater and the Ugly Tuna Saluna. Okay. So it was just those two things up there. Because of the crime rate of this area and because of the fact that it was under construction and because it's a movie theater and a bar, there was plenty of security uh, cameras around the area. Mm -hmm. There is a camera outside the bar that points towards the escalator. So every single person coming up or going down from the second floor is on this camera. So is, and that's the only way in and out? It is. Of the whole building? Kind of. Okay. So off to the side, there's kind of a freight elevator. It is not public access. It is strictly for supplies and food for the bar. All right. So it's, it's locked down. You have to have a key to get into it. It's not public access. Like someone can't go up and push a button and get into this elevator. Okay. So that is another way to get up and down. There's also, and this, this part gets very, very confusing. There's also a back and uh, exit. And I don't know if it was a fire exit or a service exit or what it was. It was not general public access. But it so again, was, only other businesses in the building had access to it, or just the Ugly Tuna Saluna had access to it. I think other bil- um, other businesses in the complex had access to it. Okay. But it was like if if a civilian wandered over there, it would draw attention. Yeah, people would know. Yeah, yes. that makes sense. Okay. So on this particular night. Not all the cameras were working. Oh. But in order to make up for that, there was actually security hired by the Ugly Tuna Saluna that was guarding the entrances. So you can actually okay. see these security guards on camera when, like, there's very famous footage in this that shows Brian coming up and Brian hanging out outside. And you can see the guards in the video. Okay. So they're there. Like Brian coming up the escalators? Yes. You mean? Okay. Yeah. And so you can see where the guards are standing, but then there's also this emergency or service exit or whatever it is. There's guards stationed outside those two. And they're so not- either way, someone had to have seen them come in. And if anyone's leaving, someone's going to see them leaving, whether it's the yes. camera or the guards. Yes. Okay. Okay. So the camera catches them at about 1 a.m. coming up to the bar. 1 a.m. God, I'd be in bed by 1 a.m. I know, I'm exhausted. I know. Um, So the Ugly Tuna Saluna actually really often had live music. And this particular night, they had a live band playing. Okay. So Brian, Clint, and Meredith, when they got inside, they ended up seeing a couple of their friends. And they spent some time mingling and talking to them. Brian saw some of his own friends elsewhere. Clint and Meredith mentioned that Brian would like disappear and come back. 
mm-hmm. a couple of times, but they they always were kind of like, oh, there he is over there. What was he doing? Talking to people? Just talking to people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just mingling. I mean, he's a good looking guy. I'd want to talk to him. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Hi, I'm your friend. <laughs> um, at one point, he actually goes outside the bar, kind of near this landing at the front. Mm-hmm. And he's he's seen out there talking to two young girls. I, I say young, but they're like young college students. Can I ask a question? Are we saying outside the bar as in outside the complex? No, no. Or just outside? Outside near the escalator. Just near like the right escalator. Right in front of the bar. Okay. Okay. Which sounds kind of weird when you put it that way. But I think it was like, you know how... I'm just bars. picturing like the inside of a mall, kind of. A it, small, yeah, that's exactly yeah, what it looks like. Yeah. So it Which doesn't sounds seem weird. that weird. Yeah. But if you think about a lot of bars have like an outdoor area to get out of the bar, usually it's actually outside, but this place didn't have access to like a patio area. So I guess this is what they had. Yeah. Brian's seen talking to these two girls at 1.55 a.m. is when the camera catches them. The conversation appears very friendly and engaging. And uh, after a few minutes, the girls go back inside and Brian follows them. Okay. The girls are seen leaving the bar and going down the escalator at 1.59. Brian is not with them. Oh. So 2.30 is when the bar closed. I'm assuming last call was probably about 2 a.m. Yeah. Uh, The band stopped playing just before 2.30. And what's really funny is uh, True Crime Garage, Nick and the Captain live in Ohio. Like, I think one of them them even went to college, I think, in Columbus. So he knows the bar. Yeah. And it was the captain. And the captain knows the band that played that night. He was actually friends with, like, their bass guitarist, I think. Oh, Wow. And so Nick and the captain actually made a point that in in Columbus, when a bar closes, they basically yank your drink out of your hand and shove you out the door. Interesting. There's no friendly like, hey, we're we're closing. You got to get out. It's, it's like closing the lights. time. No, no, there's no like friendly. No, there's it's, no. Yeah. The lights come on and you best get the fuck out in two minutes or we're going to get physical. So Brian and his friends were basically only there for about 45 minutes then because you said they got there at 130 there. He's on. Uh, they got there at one one a.m. 1 a.m. Okay, so they were there for longer than that. I was like, like, gosh, that's a short... Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, um, Clint and Meredith are seen leaving the bar at 2 a.m. Without Brian. They had tried searching for him, but they didn't see him. So they were like, oh, well, maybe he's outside. And because last call has already gone down, they're not going to let you back in. Basically, if you leave, like, you're not getting back. So at 2.01, Meredith calls Brian... Her call went straight to voicemail, but she left him a message that was basically like, hey, dude, where are you? Yeah. They hang out outside the gateway just for a little bit. They're like, it, just to see if Brian came out behind them. Uh-huh. Still didn't see him. Clint and Meredith are seen leaving the garage in Meredith's car at 2.09. Oh. So do Mer- they ever say what they're assuming happened like when they left like what were they assuming at the time they thought that he had just left without telling them left with somebody else or no the just he had left they didn't say if it was with someone else by himself all they say is you know we assume that he just left without telling us okay because when she called it went straight to voicemail the assumption is oh his phone must have died yeah so meredith remember meredith had picked up brian and clint before so Clint didn't have a car. Meredith takes him to a professor's house. I guess he was house sitting for a professor. So she took him back like quote unquote home. Okay. And the following morning, Meredith picked Clint up again, took him to Brian's house so that he could pick up his own car. And this is weird to me based on we'll we'll chat about it later. Just like think about okay. this. Yeah. Fast forward to the rest of the weekend. Alexis tried calling him several times over like the Saturday and Sunday. All her calls went straight to voicemail. 
at first she thought like, oh, I know he went out drinking on Friday. Maybe he's just hungover or he was studying really hard all week. Maybe he's just catching up on sleep. But the longer it went and the more calls went unanswered, the more worried she got. Well, especially since he's up to this point been pretty attentive. Yeah. Right. And like, it seems like always there and available. When was that trip? When was that cruise supposed to happen again? The following Monday. Oh, that's why she came home on Sunday. She was uh, coming home so they could leave. Yeah. Uh, That actually leads right into my next point. She came home on Sunday and she went straight to his apartment. Well, I would too. He wasn't home. So she knows he went out with Clint. So she calls Clint. Clint hasn't heard from him. And so Randy and Derek, Brian's father and brother, go out to Brian's apartment to meet Alexis because she's convinced like something is not right here. So they go inside. Everything looks fine. Nothing really seems touched. He doesn't have any clothes missing. His bed is made. His glasses are on the nightstand. His car is parked in the parking lot outside. And just everything is normal. Yeah. So they're they're concerned. Like, yeah, something is not right here. So what's really sad is they start looking at dumpsters around the gateway complex looking for him. Oh, that is sad. Yeah, especially thought, for like the family. This family that just, just lost. lost their mother. Yeah. So their thought was, you know, maybe maybe he got drunk and crawled in a dumpster. Maybe he got in a fight and someone threw him in a dumpster. Um. So they they didn't find him. They started searching the banks of the Olentangy River, which is a nearby river. Oh wow! Couldn't find him. So they call nine one one. Well, naturally, yes. Naturally, what did they say? Uh, he probably left on his own. He's, He's a probably man. stressed out, just lost his mother. You'll hear from him soon. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. So, And Randy was adamant. He was like, my son would not stay away like this. The, we've talked care. about, yeah, we've talked about this before. Parents know their children. Yeah. So if a parent, I think police, it should be like in the protocol. If a parent says to you, this is not like my child, listen to them. Yeah. You know? Um, So while the family is doing all of this, Clint contacts Meredith saying, you know, no one's heard from Brian. Something might have happened to him. Meredith starts calling hospitals looking for Brian. Like people are looking for Brian. Are worried. Yeah. And so now we come to Monday morning. They're supposed to be going on this big trip. They're supposed to be going like this is supposed to be this really fun spring break thing. Alexis goes to the airport hoping Brian will show up. And a detective went with her. And when Brian didn't show up and their flight left without them, Uh, they did a missing persons report. Well, good. Yes. Uh, how awful. So they interview Clint and Meredith, the friends that they had seen at the bar, including the two girls that Brian was seen talking to on camera. The two girls said they had, that they had been flirting with him. At one point, one of them, like, quote unquote, borrowed Brian's phone so that she could put her phone number in it. Okay. Like, she said that they were, like, being flirty. Uh-huh. I don't know who specifically said this because the article I found it in was very vague, but I guess one of the people they interviewed said that Brian had been talking about like, hey, you want to come to an after party at my house tonight? Like, we'll just hang out at my house and we'll we'll chill. We'll drink some more. And everyone was like, yeah, set it up, dude. Let us know. And none of them heard back from him. So they're like, oh, he probably just decided not to go through with it. Huh. That was just a weird detail I found. That is is strange. So Randy, Meredith and Clint were all asked to take polygraph tests. Randy and Meredith took it. No problem. They passed. Clint lawyered up and he would take the test. And his lawyer told him not to answer any more questions. Really? Yep. That's odd. It is odd. And I guess I'll I'll 
go into this now. So a polygraph really is only bad for you as as a person taking one. They're only bad. Because if you pass one, then it doesn't do anything. And no, because they're not admissible in court. So yeah. And like they don't. It won't make them not look at you anymore if they Mm -mm. think you did something. Mm -mm. And if you fail it, it'll make them look at you harder. Harder, yeah. And it just looks bad. So, honestly, don't take a polygraph. Well, and then maybe that's where Clint was coming from, right? And I I think so. But his, his behavior is a little weird besides that. And I'll talk about that later because it comes up several years later. Okay, investigators try to get him like they're like he knows something like Meredith and Randy even those two and Alexis everyone is like Clint knows something and he won't say okay so investigators are like let's get him in front of a grand jury because then he has to testify right yeah yeah or that's perjury right well no that's lying Clint and his lawyer have a meeting with the prosecutor and somehow, Clint doesn't have to answer a single one of their questions, and he gets to leave the grand jury. Why? I, I didn't get details. Who are his, his parents, by the he, way? I, I'm not sure. I think they're, they're, they have to be well Yeah, well I, I, feel, I feel like there's some... Um, he, has, he has money for a good lawyer. Yeah, I feel like there's some behind-the-scenes things here yeah. that are happening. Yeah, and everyone does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, in the meantime, police completely shut down the Gateway Complex, including the Ugly Tuna Saluda, for a couple of days. Like, this is a big deal. Yeah. They take all the surveillance footage, and the like I said, the emergency door camera, that back exit that I was talking about, uh-huh. the camera wasn't working. But the guard working that area said that no one left by that door. He was like, I did not see anyone come out that door. Okay. Police searched all over the complex. Locked areas, nooks, crannies, halls, staircases. If a human could get to it, then they checked it. They checked it. Yeah. They didn't find anything. That's crazy. Um, they deployed tracking dogs, both cadaver dogs and search dogs. All over the complex. Cadaver dogs didn't hit anywhere. Weird. So one of the search dogs did track Brian's scent, though. Oh. This back exit that I was talking about uh-huh. led into a construction site. It, part of the back area was under construction. There was a, a, a fence that was locked to get into the construction area. But like if that door was unlocked, you could walk all the way through and it would dump you out on the other side of the complex. And no cameras there. Correct. But okay. that it's a it's an active construction area. So it was locked. OK. The dog tracked Brian's scent through that construction area. And over to a Wendy's parking lot on the other side of the complex. Weird. Like quite a ways away. So John Hurst, who is like the main detective that worked this case, um, Mm -hmm. he worked it for basically his entire career until he retired. Mm -hmm. He doesn't think that the dogs actually tracked Brian's scent. And I don't know why he thinks this. I know that John did a lot of interviews with um, the Dead or Alive podcast, and I, I'm sure he talks about this there. I think you and I have mentioned we don't like listening to really in-depth coverage yeah. of cases because we don't want to ruin our own take on things. Exactly. But John Hurst has said that he's not convinced that this was Brian's scent. I don't know why he thinks that way. I don't know if he's just against search dogs in general or what. Um They tried to get surveillance footage from this Wendy's to determine if Brian was there. The official stance is that there was no surveillance footage. I have seen comments on YouTube pages and stuff of like one specific person who has conspiracy theory that there is surveillance footage and that it's being hidden. Well, why would it be hidden? I know. Like that's and everyone replies to him. They're like, dude, if if you 
like can you source this like what's your source and the exactly. guy never responds uh, the, yeah that's... i just i did i wanted to say that because it's it's like the Ooh thing. yeah yeah <laughs> Um, I want to say that in my personal opinion, until it has been completely ruled out that it is his scent, I'm inclined to believe that it is his scent. Well, so am I. Like, again, you can't ask the dogs, dude, did you really find the scent? They're only doing what they're trained to do. Right. And they're well trained. Exactly. Like, they have to go through extensive training and retraining. They go through drills all the time. I'm inclined to believe that this was his scent. I don't know why John is so That's what I'm skeptical. saying. I think it's, re- yeah, it's ridiculous. They, I mean, police looked hard for him. Uh, they tracked his cell phone records and bank accounts. And... They paid $3,000 for a month of very close monitoring on his phone. Oh, wow. And nothing. Yeah. The phone company determined that his phone was off. Remember Meredith, Meredith tried yeah, to call him. Yeah, it went him. straight to voicemail. Yeah. They determined his phone was off. They also said there were no calls or texts made after that point. And they pinged his phone a few times because remember, this is 2006. Not all phones have like GPS locators like we have in our smartphones now. Uh huh. So in order to find it, they would have to ping it. The pings only work if the phone is on. Oh, okay. Um, let me ask this. Remember the two girls that he was talking to um, yes. outside of the bar? Uh, and she said she borrowed his phone to give to... I wonder if she like just put in the information under his contacts or if she well I guess she didn't text him her info no they were like took they were according to the two girls they were like flirting and she was giving him her number okay so probably putting it in his contacts got it yeah okay so they they kind of pinged his phone multiple times to see if anything would come up and on Monday night they did get two pings to hit oh Using this, they triangulated his phone location to somewhere on the west side of Columbus near Kenny Road or Lane Avenue. This is the area that Clint and Brian went to when they went away from the Ugly Tuna the first time. They went on some um, to some bars over in that area. Okay. And that was kind of the extent of the information they got right away they really didn't find anything right no, away yeah um, it's like he just like disappeared yeah and i'll go more into um i think i go into the surveillance video a little later okay maybe i'll do it now um so they like i said they pulled the surveillance video from the ugly tuna saluna they looked at everything they tried to find everything they got to the point that they went through the video for the entire night frame by frame and documented every single person that entered the bar. Uh-huh. And they tracked when they left, left the bar. They determined, and I think it was John Hurst determined, that every single person who entered the bar left the bar. That is except nuts. Except for Brian. That's nuts. Right? So at one point... They actually thought they had something. They saw this guy walk in who was wearing an orange sweatshirt and they didn't see him leave. Okay. And so they were, they hunted this guy down and they were like, we need to find this guy. The guy ends up coming forward and like they, they studied the tape more thoroughly and they were able to determine the guy took his sweater off when he left. Oh, so he had one thing on coming in and one thing on going out, but they found that it was the same guy. So that turned into a dead end lead. Yeah. I mean, that's all they got. They they couldn't find Brian. So Brian, every single every single person entering that complex is seen, even if they didn't go to the bar, though, too, they were able Um, to track that theater was closed at that point Mm -hmm. because it was so Mm -hmm. late. That's nuts. See, now the only thing I would think is, well, no. I mean, if they, so they're accounting everyone except for Brian coming out. They, they have stated they are 100% certain. He didn't leave. The, and that, like coming from a cop, that means something. Yeah. They never say 100%. 
go moving on because that's all we got. May 11th, Brian's apartment got broken into. Oh. And just before this, NBC had actually aired a story about Brian's disappearance. So police called Alexis at 3 a.m. saying, hey, Brian's apartment just got broken into. Can you please come over and see if anything's missing? Because they thought it might be connected. Yeah. She gets there and it's just your standard like TV, DVDs, electronics were missing, but nothing personal. I wonder if it was someone who saw the coverage and knew he was missing and just wanted to take advantage of do you know what no, I'm saying? No, the neighbor got broken into too. Oh, okay. And they, so they were just, just like, it was just unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, I, they determined it was just, they didn't think it was related at all. Yeah. So this had me like, oh, my heart. Alexis used to call Brian's phone every night just so she could hear his voicemail. Oh, that is sad. Every night. And remember, his phone is off. So she calls, it goes straight to voicemail. And it it was every night before she went to bed. That was her routine. One night in September 2011, she called his phone and it rang. What? That's what she thought. So she calls it back. I think she said she called it three times in a row just to be sure. Yeah. I bet she was like looking at the number, making sure it's the right one she called. So then she called Randy and she's like, Randy, his phone's ringing. So Randy starts calling. Yeah. Randy called investigators. Investigators called. The phone is ringing. So they're like, call singular. Yeah. So they call singular wireless. Singular. Track it. Singular determined that it was a computer glitch that made it seem like his phone was on. That's a little crazy and random. Yeah, they don't know what happened, but they determined that it was actually a local data station was uh, somehow interfering with um, the phone range somehow. Uh, There was a local data station that was located really, really close to the last place Brian's phone pinged. This data station somehow must have crossed waves and was picking up the signal for the phone call and was ringing. Oh, that's too bad. Really sad. Oh, I, you know, and I can just feel like the family and his girlfriend, like when it was ringing, like kind of like the hope that yes. was probably. Alexis said it was like the sweetest sound she had ever heard. Oh, and I'm just sad. like, oh, Alexis. I know. So uh, September 14th of that year of 2008, Hurricane Ike hit the Midwest. And when Randy didn't go to work on September 15th, his neighbor went over to check on him. No, and stop. Randy had been hit by a tree during the storm and died. Stop it. Isn't that so sad? So now there's only like one child in this family left? Just Derek. Oh, God. And he's the baby? Yeah. Oh, poor Derek. Yeah. So I. And is this how this is less, this all within one year? uh, This was 2008. So this was uh, two and a half years after he disappeared. So he loses his mother. And Brian his goes missing and his father's dead. Oh, poor. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so now I'm going to take you out of the side and I'll make you angry just so we can okay. make you feel better. Uh, Clint's attorney, because we're going to mm. take back this, uh, is named Neil Rosenberg because okay. he's a lawyer. Why isn't his name Rosenberg? Exactly. <laughs> that is a very lawyer name. It's like it you're is. born with the name Rosenberg. You're like, well. I can only do this or be a dentist. I can't do anything else. Davis, Schuster, and Rosenberg. (laughs) It sounds like a a law firm. Okay, go on. So in 2008, I think it was after uh, Randy had died. Randy had actually hired a a private investigator to help with this. Because it's not that he didn't trust the police. Randy and Derek were completely like the police are doing everything they can to find my brother or they're trying to find Brian. Yeah. 
but why not use everything at your disposal? So they hired a private investigator just to get a different angle on it. The private investigator was working with the police to try and get Clint to take a lie detector test. They were like, it's been a couple of years. Maybe you remember something different. Just come in and give us another statement. And they said no again. They're like, we're not taking a lie detector test. And Clint said, I already told them everything I know. I don't see a point in coming in again. Okay. Like, uh, help your friend. Clint's lawyer wrote a letter, and I think this was to the private investigator. And he basically, in this letter, because this whole time, you know, that the rumors are going around. Because you and I are sitting here and we're like, man, Clint is just causing heartache for the family. Everyone was thinking that at the time. So, Neil Rosenberg wrote this letter that basically said, you know, Clint is not the one causing the pain here. Um, I'm led to believe by investigators that Brian's alive. And if Brian's alive, he's the one causing all the problems and he should just come home and end this. Oh. But like, how shitty is that? To that be is like- shitty, but that maybe that's his way of like coping with it. I I don't think so. I kind of do. Like you're you're no. right. You're like I guess Except not. that I don't the know. police have never stated they think he's alive. Yeah. They've said that he the chances are that he could be alive is equal to the chances are that he's dead. Yeah. They they're not ruling anything out, but this lawyer is like, "Well, they said he's alive. They didn't say he's not dead. He must be alive." Yeah. I just, I don't like Clint. A lot of people don't like Clint. Yeah, Clint um, isn't isn't really getting a good, yeah, good rap and, you know, from this. He could be doing what he needs to to protect himself. I completely get it. But some of the things his lawyer says on his behalf is like, they don't just say that. They get the okay from their client before they release this stuff. So this is essentially Clint saying this. Well, it also sounds like, too, Clinton is getting a lot of advice that he may or may not agree with, but is just over his head in what's happening. You know? I don't know. That's what I think. Like, I just, don't think he's dumb. I think he knows exactly what he's holding back and he's not going to release it. Hmm. Um, in October of 2008, so just a month after uh, Brian's dad died... Uh, Columbus Magazine actually hosted a memorial run in Brian's name. Mm-hmm. And on the website, there's actually a link to a like memoriam book where people could write messages about Brian. It was kind of like a, a sign in like what people do on Facebook pages for yeah. their deceased friends. They kind of did this on this online thing. There was a comment in this that that said it was uh love brian like oh there's i don't i don't have the full quote yeah like investigators saw that and they were like what is this yeah and it was uh you know how sometimes when you post things it'll like link your location yeah it it linked the location to the virgin islands so investigators hopped right on this they traced the ip address to a library computer in Franklin County, which is where Columbus is. And they just determined it was a super shitty joke. Well, and that is a super shitty joke, but there's a lot of people named Brian. Uh, no, the content of the, um, because was this was like, they were, this was a run for Brian Schaefer. Okay. And the way it was written was like, that person like was Brian. Yeah. it looked, I can't, I don't have the quote in front of me, but it was, it's creepy enough that it looked like it was uh, Brian saying, like, I'm saying away goodbye. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, a little bit of side info here. Um, there was a obviously a reward for information leading to him being found. Mm-hmm. Crime Stoppers offered a $25,000 reward. Wow. Which is insanely high for Crime Stoppers. I was going to say, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, one source I found said that, like, Organizations and things were um, donating money to increase this reward. It got up to $100,000. Oh, wow. 
and there were and even with that there's still no solid leads so brian loved pearl jam he actually had a pearl jam tattoo on one of his arms it was the uh like the stick man logo from one of their album covers oh yeah yeah he had bought tickets to go see them in detroit and of course he went missing before this concert so alexis auctioned off these tickets oh um so that she could use the money towards the reward fund in 2010 pearl jam actually went to columbus and did a concert and they dedicated one of the songs to Brian when they were performing there. Oh my gosh, how nice. Yeah, Eddie Vedder, like, um, I wish, I don't think I could find, let me see if so I can find he, it really, So really he knew all about the case and was, Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Yeah, so that was really cool. He just did this whole intro basically saying, like, this is what he looked like. This is where he was last seen. Uh, just remember him. Yeah. Um, and then he played the song Come Back. Oh, uh, gosh. Yeah. In that in that clip, you can actually hear him mention that, you know, he had a great girlfriend named Alexis. They were planning on getting married. Remember, his mom had expressed, like, oh, I want you to marry this girl. Um, friends thought that Brian was going to propose on this uh, spring break the trip, trip. Yeah, that has never been confirmed. Alexis oh, wow. has even come out and said that no, we were not planning on getting married. Like, yeah, his mom had hinted at it. Like, yeah, we were pretty serious, but like, he didn't buy a ring. He didn't have like. So this is just like this little bit of information that got blown massively out of proportion. proportion. So a lot of podcasts actually will report that like, and he was going to propose to her on this trip. I have not seen a single thing that actually substantiates. And she even comes out and talks about that too. So, yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, May, 2018, the ugly tuna saluna closed for good. And that brought this whole thing up with Brian Schaefer again, that, People were like, man, um, really, really sad Uh, when they announced that it was closing. There was like a Facebook comment that was like, hey, did they ever find that guy who disappeared? And it was like, man, no, they didn't ever find Brian Schaefer. By the way, he has a name. Yeah. Um, So that just it brought it up again. Crime Stoppers has come out and said that like they still get one or two tips a month about Brian's disappearance, which is oh, crazy. Wow. Like people, people are still calling stuff in. Well, um, yeah, I've seen like looking, cause right now I'm like looking at images of Brian Schaefer. There's a lot of like, um, you know, pictures of like people that are homeless that they're trying to compare profiles of like, okay, actually speaking of that, cause that's in my notes in 2019, there was a homeless man in Mexico. Yeah. And it kind of does. It looked, it looked so much like him. The FBI got involved and did actual facial recognition. They determined it wasn't Brian. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looks like him. Yeah. That one was such a solid lead that they got him involved. Yeah. Um, the, the detective that was working this case said that, like, he still looks for Brian everywhere. Like everywhere. He'll be out and about. So this is crazy. So one time he was directing traffic at an Ohio State football game and he saw Brian. Oh, really? And he he left his post. He ran after this guy because he was like, I saw Brian. I had to get to him. Guess who it was? Who? Clint? It was Derek. (gasps) Oh, uh, yeah. That's sad. Apparently, on the night that Brian disappeared, 
uh, a witness came forward and was like, hey, I saw Brian walking on the street like a mile from here. And the guy was like, hey, dude, you know that people are looking for you, right? And the guy didn't respond and he just kept walking. Apparently, um, police were able to find some CCTV footage that substantiated this guy saying like, hey, I saw Brian. It uh-huh. wasn't Brian. Oh. Um, and then in 2020, they released an age progression photo of what Brian would look like today. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be real honest. This photo is actually kind of creepy looking to me. Really? I'm gonna see uh, he looks like a Sim. Oh, gosh. Or he looks like a wa- like someone in a wax museum. This looks like a wax mold human. Oh, it does, doesn't it? It it's a little creepy. Um, yeah, I don't like that. It gives you enough of like what he would probably look like today. But I I don't yeah. know. I don't know that he would look like that. That's like complete. I mean, I guess that's that's an actual photo of him that they just age progressed his features. Yeah, a photo of him from with very short hair. Yeah. From yeah. Um. I think that's actually when he first went missing. That's the the original of this photo is one that Alexis provided to them. Okay. But um, that's, that's really all we have. Uh, Columbus PD has said that they have three theories about what they think may have happened. But they have never said what they are. Like even vaguely. They've never said what these three theories are. I wonder why. What would hurt in telling us about the three theories? I have no idea, but they've never shared, even vaguely. Like, yeah, so... um, But what would it hurt? What would sharing their theories hurt? I don't get it. Like, why are they keeping it so close? I think because there's no evidence to substantiate any of them. And you know if the police come out and say, hey, this is our theory, everyone's going to be like, oh, yeah, that had to have been, like, yeah, it's the, um, they, the confirmation s- bias thing. Power of suggestion, yeah. 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 So they're trying to keep their options open. So that's that's where we're going to stop today. Okay. And uh, there are many, many theories surrounding what may have happened to Brian. And we are going to discuss them with Edo, and that will come out tomorrow. Well, that will be exciting. Yeah. Man, I mean, it's like he literally disappeared. Right. That's crazy. That's crazy that that, that there has to be an explanation, though. Um, I'd, I have my own ideas. I think... Um, I'm not convinced. Yeah, we'll have to talk about yeah. it during the theories because I don't yeah. want to talk about it now. Yeah. Um, but just kind of let that sit in your head for a minute. Thank you. Okay. Well, we will hear more about this tomorrow. Yes, we will. Awesome. And uh, I will see you then. At the Tuna Saluna. Ugly Tuna Saluna. Oh, Ugly Tuna <laughs> Kat and I are so grateful for all of our listeners, and we love hearing from you guys. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Alternative Interest Podcast, and let us know your thoughts on this week's case. We want to cover the things that you guys want to hear, so please email us your case suggestions at alternativeinterestpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and sharing us with your friends. Be good to each other, and we'll see you next week.